I hit record. Okay, we're recording it now, though. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you we were just talking out the episode. <laughs> Without hitting record, this is cool stuff. Okay. Okay, I'm I'm recording now. I've I've done my job. I pushed the button. Now now we now we can talk. You only have one job. Well, well, one job is it, John? <laughs> I'll, so, I'll, I'll I'll do all the work, shall I? Yeah, good. <laughs> Glad you agree. Glad you agree. Yeah. So we are. I don't actually know quite know what we're talking about, but I think we're. Having a conversation. Pause. You just said, "Oh, we you you need to start recording because this is good <laughs> stuff." And then the first thing you say is, "I don't really know what we're talking about." That, that well, I do. I said I had to introduce it. It's like midway through the conversation. That's a different. That's a different thing. Communicate correctly, boy. Oh, all right, fine. I am terribly sorry that I did not communicate in a way that you find useful. Perhaps my cascades are working in a different place than you. Yeah, that, that that was wrong in so many ways that we're going to skip past it. I don't actually want you to. I'm very intrigued. John, John, just yeah. go read the 150-page paper and oh, come back to oh, me. 150-page <laughs> paper. I'm through a 114, 15-page paper. What is it? 117? How many references are there? I say 150, but like 10 of the pages are references. And like <laughs> the first three or four are just the introduction to the paper, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, okay, it's not a hundred, so it's much less. But I'm just like, okay, I'm gonna get through this. I'm like, wow, there's so much, there's so much context there, and I love every little piece of it. But yeah, anyway. So, what we were talking about is, I did a reaction to Amy Landino's video, and in the comments section, there were people asking. Well, they were, I was, I was suggesting that naming all of your different notes isn't as useful than just notes. Um, and I feel like there is a use for the naming if you understand why you're naming it the names. But if you don't, then it's just overcomplicating something that should be pretty simple. Um, and then you went off on a, a tangent. Yeah, um, I think I agree to a certain extent. I think naming it, that there is a limit to the power of naming something. But there is a power to naming something. There is there is a benefit to naming. And I think what the risk is, especially in the PKM space, is that people just take other people's names, but don't, like you were saying, don't fully understand what that means. And so I have found through my experience of like, if I have something, I name it for myself. So an example of this is a task manager or a resource manager. It is a manager. I'm managing. But if I don't need to manage it, then that isn't an accurate like explanation of what I'm doing. If I'm just capturing or I am recycling content, for example, then it's a resource, it's a content recycler. Like it's giving a clearer i suppose it's almost giving a like understanding the environment that you're actually in like what this system is and naming it because that it kind of gives some form of it helps to explain what it is versus just using 
terms for the sake of using them. Kind of going back to our to our episode last week around, you know, jargon. Whereas if you name it simply in a way that makes sense to you, then that's great. But there is a limitation on that. And the more you name things, you start adding complexity. But I do think there is a benefit to having a name that suits the purpose, kind of like Ron Seal, you Ron Seal it. Like, you know what it does. It does what it says on the tin. Um, and I think there is a huge benefit for that to help you, especially in the apps that are more flexible and provide a lot more options like Notion and Obsidian, where there are so many things it can do. It, it adds, <clears throat> it almost adds a constraint a self-imposed constraint, but it allows you to know exactly what that tool is for and not just the multiple and also the same thing with multiple apps. If you're using multiple apps, if you can name what that app is doing, it's clearer in the mind. At least that's from my experience. It is much clearer for me to know this app does this, this app does that. That's what this is my system for this. This is my system for that um yeah, yeah i love my, that i love yeah. that explanation because i think those self-imposed constraints are what we do naturally anyway and those names are the constraints because we associate the names if you're going from an ip perspective it would be a chunk of information this is this thing this is that thing inside of ed you'd say well okay this is the self-organized system that you have over here and that's over there um it's it's almost and, like a shortcut to sharing context as well. Yeah. It 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 helps to really define the context that you're in. Um as a I suppose a marketing tool from a business perspective, it very much helps you understand and it means you can share with others what you have in a way that isn't overtly complex because what we talk about on here is it feels a lot of stuff and it, it there's there's we a lot of the people here have some prior knowledge, whereas the audience that I work with do not. Mm. And so it there adds is, some. Yeah, go on. I was going to say, I think there is a limitation to it, because when you add a name to something, uh, that name is from your your organization of the elements, not the other person, which is where like the jargon and, and the complexity comes in, because you will have a meaning, which is your self-organized information around that thing that someone else isn't going to have, which is where I think, like for me, the naming of notes is it, that's where it overcomplicates things, because what someone mm. says, when someone says fleeting note, everyone is going to have a different meaning, different organization behind what it means to be a fleeting note. Uh, and in Amy's video specifically, she says that a fleeting note um, is discarded. And to me, yeah, yeah, a fleeting note should be discarded into a permanent note. But to me, discarded is, is got rid of, but your fleeting note is being turned into a permanent note. So it's not going anywhere. It's just being Merging. merged. Yeah, it's merging into something else. So from a systems perspective, your system is being organized into another system or multiple systems. So it's not going anywhere. I mean, you could argue it's dispersing, it's disappearing, but the fleeting note can also then be the permanent note because the permanent note is just a grouped, like groups of fleeting notes that you took. So, so 
the the words then become very mixed You're like okay well when is it a note a fleeting note when isn't it a fleeting note yeah and you need to, and you need to put these boundaries or barriers on on it somehow and putting the barriers on is normally harder than putting the name on the thing to start with and that's where yeah. i think the complexity comes in so as soon as you yeah. have these names you have to have barriers but systems merge they combine they they fluctuate they move they expand they they decay and if you have something that's moving the barriers also need to move, but you can't have moving barriers on a term. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, there are limitations to naming. And if you name every single individual thing, it becomes, it loses all meaning as such. And, so, and you just don't have any, yeah. I guess from, from a, an example through my notes, which is which is what some people were saying in the comments, we were sort of having this discussion. I was, they were saying, well, you have source source notes and working notes. How is that different from fleeting and permanent? Well, fleeting notes one has multiple definitions, <laughs> um, but a source note, I know the the line. That in a source note, it's just the information from the source. That's it. That's that's the barrier. The elements inside the source note can go to another system, i.e a working note and a working note is just a what i would class as a traditional note it's just a place with lots of different points and ideas and sources and just stuff <laughs> like there, there is very few boundaries to a working note i i have my own formatting but that's the organization of the elements in the note whereas the permanent note there are boundaries that have been imposed on a permanent note even with the name permanent you know okay, what does permanent mean? So it tries to impose boundaries by the naming of it and by how you do it, how you build it. And those boundaries don't work for some people because we process and work in different ways. And that's yeah. where all the different interpretations come in. And then you have like map of content. What's, what's the difference between a map of content, an index note, a table of content, a list? Like what are the differences? Everyone's going to have a different answer to that question. So is it beneficial to have all of these different names and categories? I don't think so. But if someone in someone individually has an idea of what something is and then they call it whatever they want, great. Then it helps them to remember what the organization is for them at that time. But in two so months you, time, so that may change. It, so you see it more as what's happening as it's very much a marketing thing versus a specific, like actually supporting the design of a system and, and the use of the system and the creation of the system is very much a it's a marketing tool so that you have something to promote and you can trademark it if you fancy it and it's it's yours and you're selling that idea versus what i do um um my interpretation of that is very much like I call it something so I know what it is and there is a boundary there and I have that. And it is primarily for me. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the you, barriers... Like, have... Yeah. I, I think the barriers need to be self-imposed because they are self-organized. And if they're not yeah. self-imposed barriers, then you've got the educator, the teacher, whatever, putting the barriers on the person, which can help with learning to start with task uh, simplification. That's what constraints are. You add constraints so they sort of get it. You then remove the constraints, et cetera, et cetera. But that's learning. That's teaching. And if unless you've got someone helping you navigate those constraints, 
Which then you're often just is not the case with a YouTube video. That's the thing. There, you exactly. very rarely have that with a YouTube video. And I, and I think what I do with my naming or how I help my clients with naming their systems is I go con- I go what what are the boundaries first? Like it is boundaries first, and the boundaries that you put in influence how you name it versus just naming it to give it a fancy pants name it's very much okay so what are you actually doing with the one example i've got is what are you actually doing with your resources are you managing them are you going to be going in and out is it like a a drawer you open and you pick out pieces and then you close that are you going in and out there or are you just placing it somewhere is it something just to track and store so a resource storage you know what are you actually doing what are the boundaries around your system that you're having to help you what are you what is it helping you to do what's because the point some, it? yeah what's the point why 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 are you even doing this if you don't know why then it won't work and that i think is the differentiation between the naming convention that i use and how i view it as the right way to go there is not a right way but that is what works for me and a lot of my clients who are not systems orientated they did not traditional view of systems orientation of being a type a and being this way like they think they have to be a certain way versus self-organization like organizing themselves and i'm just going hey you have it all there let's go find it yeah i think that's what the educational system has unintentionally done maybe intentionally actually probably intentionally with the way it was built and then just hasn't been evolved afterwards uh but because of the way that the (laughs) educational system works it's not really learning or education a lot of the time because of the constraints and the barriers put in because of well the governments with uh, testing and expectations of grades and how long you need to stay there and what you need to do there and the time you can put in certain things and all the other limitations inside of education which is a far bigger conversation than one we're having here uh, <laughs> but all of those barriers and limitations train individuals in a way of thinking and unless you're abstract enough which is funny funny (laughs) like the the troublesome kids are normally the ones that are abstract enough to think outside of the box to be creative but because they're not like organized in the system the way the system was built i.e the school system uh then they get told off or they have to get extra support or whatever and you can say the same with people that learn differently the neurodivergent individuals and whatever category you want to add to that um like all of those people that that don't fit in the mold normally are more abstract thinkers or allow themselves to organize themselves in their own way, but that doesn't suit the educational system with the boundaries and the barriers. And then after school, that's going to, well, after they leave education in whatever, whatever way, um, they then need to try and figure it out themselves, but they didn't really get help from what's meant to help them. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, yeah. that's, re- <laughs> that's not very useful then, is it? Especially yeah. as I think more people, I think there are more people that don't suit the educational system than do suit the system. So when you add all these naming naming conventions because of the educational system on things like this is how you note take, this is how you study, this is how you learn, but it's not. It's a way. Yeah. And a perfect example is academics. I don't do academics. I'm not an academic. Well, actually you are. And actually you are a scientist. Most people are. They just have barriers and boundaries put on them because of what they thought education was. And 
obviously we, we've spoken about your your evolution from I'm not an academic to I'm reading a paper that's almost 100 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, just yeah. I, th I think pulling yeah. down those barriers uh, helps people organize it themselves, which, which is like part of the learning process. The constraints are in there, the educator, whoever that happens to be or whatever that happens to be, then removes those constraints and then you can self-organize yourself in a potentially better way, potentially worse way to start with as well, um, which obviously comes down to the amount of energy that you put in to start organizing whatever it is, which I know is the other topic. So nice yeah, segue. And, and, and that, <clears throat> that brings me to our second topic and what I you know, have been looking at recently of like when it comes to my personal system, I am adding in what is what can be perceived as additional complexity um by having I love I love it when you just I'm just like, oh here we go. <laughs> um <clears throat> I, I wanna poke that a little bit. Um, I don't think you're adding in complexity. I think it's already there. Yeah. Mm. I think the complexity is already there. I think you're bringing awareness to the complexity. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. I'm bringing. I'm becoming aware of the complexity that I have. Like. I know that's really small semantics, and it may sound like small semantics to people listening. It's not. But... It's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because so if, if you say you're adding it, then you're you're bringing stuff into the environment. But when it's, really it's I'm there. just becoming aware of the environment and making a decision on that and deciding mm. to. Yeah. So one example is task adding in Notion. So one thing that I have always found a problem, a difficulty, an annoyance is adding tasks. Just the simple, like. If I just want to add a task and put a date, I've got to do so many different tiny little things, small little things I've got to do to make sure I add that task in. And, and it's it feels clunky right now. However, everything else about my Notion system, I love the ability to view my tasks in different ways, the ability to just have that flexibility and freedom to do it in all and see it in different ways. And so I have had multiple times where I have debated shifting my task management to another platform. But every single time I look at those like solutions, every time I look at things like Morgan, for example, and, you know, Todoist, which are the real, like you can press a button and then you create a shortcut and then it's done and there's a task list and everything. Every single time something has stopped me. There has been a point of like, no, this isn't working. I just can't have this massive long list of things. I, I'm not, I don't want that. <laughs> That's annoying. And I need to view it in different ways and have that almost creativity to explore my tasks. And so I've always gone back to Notion. And what I decided recently is I realized that, that when tasks are in Notion, it's working. But getting tasks into Notion, for me, wasn't. And so that, that was a complexity that I was getting frustrated with so what i decided to do is to create a simple apple shortcut where i just press a button and i add a task so whenever i have my ideas because i always have things that i need to do and there is a risk with me is i'll just follow the tasks 
I'm like, oh, I got to do this. Okay, I'll go do that now. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got an email from a client. They want this. I got a Voxer from a client. They want this. They want that. They want that. I am always being bombarded with information and, and I'm having information. I'm bombarding myself with that too. And if I was to go in and add a task every single time, and which is what I needed to do because I don't remember it. I just... I forget. Once it goes in, it's gone. Once I say it, I do something, it's gone. And I need to come back to that and see it. And so I created something that seems complex. That is just like, why did you spend, I think it was like an hour or two, creating the automation to set it up? Because now, if I have a task that pops up for me in a meeting, I don't have to go... And, oh, hang on a minute. Let me load Notion. Notion's really slow. It's not bloody loading. Come on, hurry up. I'm, I'm trying to have this conversation. I quite literally press command alt and uh, T. I don't even need to think. I press command alt T and it pops up, asks for the name of the task, set the date, and I'm done. And I get assigned and it's done. I don't have to think about it. And then when I'm ready to action my tasks and do things, I go in and look at it in my pretty little view with the with the deadline dates and, and all of that stuff that, I need to be able to action my tasks. And I am noticing a separation between task adding, so like actually putting it somewhere and then doing something with it. And they feel like almost different subsystems for me. They're like different systems in themselves, which I'm now getting clearer on and implementing and putting that into place. It looks complex. I've spent hours doing it. I have wasted time when it takes, what, five seconds to put that in? But it doesn't take five seconds. It, takes, it may take five seconds for you, but for me, that, like, piece is more than five seconds. And the energy I'm expending is more than I want. So I'd rather invest the energy and make it easier for me to get it in rather than switching at all or just getting on with it. And I think there is a lot of that getting on with it. Oh, you just do it. It's fine. Yes, I know it's annoying and I know it's frustrating, but you still got to do it. It's just part of, you know, you've got to be motivated enough. You've got to be organized enough. You've got to be disciplined enough to do it. Great. Congratulations. If you want to spend all your time learning how to be disciplined in adding tasks into Notion, good for you. If that's what you want, well done you. If I want to learn how to do something, if I have to make a habit or I have to become disciplined in something, I want it to be multiple things it helps me do. I don't want it just to be achieving one small tiny thing. I want it to have multiple layers. For example, with me doing the shortcuts, I had to learn a few things. But now I can use that. It, a great example of this is um, a ConvertKit system that I'm setting up for myself. When people come in and I wanted to have more personality into what I do. So I learned how to use Liquid. And now, literally before we spoke, um, Danny opened up Zotero and there is liquid code. It may not even be liquid. It might be something slightly different, but I recognize the syntax. So I have spent all of this time learning about this one particular thing, which I may not use all the time. I, I do, but and it is transferable. I can use it in multiple places. I do not want to learn how to add tasks into Notion perfectly. 
Because why? How is that really transferable for me when I can just spend the time learning multiple things at once so that my time is used effectively for me? And that's what I mean by effectively. I am actually gaining more from what I do. Everything I do is more versus just learning how to tick a box. Just, why? That's not, that doesn't help me in real life. It helps me to feel productive, not be my definition of productive. I think an important point that was underlying a lot of what you were saying is the way that you measure productivity or effectiveness or efficiency or whatever is not just in time. Yeah. Two, hour, two hours of time, saving maybe a couple of milliseconds every time you add a task, doesn't sound very efficient. But those couple of milliseconds isn't just the the only thing that's going on. That's also the distraction of the task when you're doing the thing, which is energy, the mental energy of going back to the task. So that's task switching. And then the actual motivation to want to go do the task. And then all of those other elements of energy that you're, ta- you're, you're spending mentally to either be motivated or d- determined, whatever whatever word you want to put on there. But all that mental energy that goes into doing the task each time and then task switching back and then the friction of you doing it and then you thinking about, oh, maybe I should make this better or not make this better or all the other psychological energy that goes into adding a task each day will add up much quicker than the two hours you spent making the task. And I think the upfront work that we do, yes, can be difficult. Yes, can be challenging, but it's organizing something. It's learning something. And once you've organized it, like you say, you can use it elsewhere there are so many times where skills are transferred elsewhere and you're like oh i'm glad i spent all that time doing that thing which is something in school (laughs) doesn't doesn't typically happen it's not like oh i'm glad i spent those five years learning trigonometry yeah no Uh, (laughs) but in the real world and, and and that is something that has been really valuable and it's not talked about it's a very rarely spoken about of like how these things actually, there is just so much energy leakage that occurs because we think we have to work a certain way, because we think that it's just something wrong with what we are doing versus, hey, we just don't want to do it. And if you can create a way of making it work for you so that you can do it, then it's worth the time investment. Or if you have, if you're, if you're, if you're time poor and cash rich, the cash investment to get someone to come in and do it for you because and to have it set up and let me just clarify because I, I i saw your face slightly then so i'm like hang on let me just make sure to get someone to come in and work with you to create it you know what you want but you don't know how to do it and you get someone to do it for you to set it up so that you don't have to figure out all the bits that you're not interested in it doesn't benefit you but you know if you have it it will help you yeah i think something that's important to note is that measuring mental load mental capacity mental effort whatever you want to call it whatever term you want to use uh we 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 can't do that accurately we don't know how to do that so no not many people talk about it because they don't know how to the most accurate way of measuring mental load that we have at the moment is through question and answer how much effort do you think you spent on this? <laughs> like, and and that's not reliable. It's not, well, it is reliable and valid if done in a 
scientific setting essentially but not everyone does that and people lie people manipulate so there's no accurate way to do it which is what a lot of people like to do which is actually one of the reasons that a lot of uh, psychology and a lot of philosophy is dumbed down i'm going to say that um into other things because other things are more measurable biology math physics there, there's numbers behind it you can you can quantify it so we could do this this and this yep but you've you, you've belittled, you've dumbed down, you've oversimplified this philosophy, this thought, this psychology that's going on. And mental effort is part of psychology because there's no number to it yet. And if there's no number to it, it means that you need to consider it more, which a lot of people don't do because they, they don't know how, because they don't have a number. They can't go, yeah, this, this was this much effort, this was that much effort, which is why I think people lean towards the time thing because it's a number. They can go, oh, two hours, five seconds two hours isn't very efficient yeah but there's other stuff there that we can't measure and it's the yeah. immeasurable <laughs> that you're really trying to trying to help with uh yeah that's that's just my, my thinking on that the the immeasurable metrics that happen inside the brain that we don't know how to measure if we can measure yet uh all the chaos that's going on all of that there, is what you're really is, trying to help it, it's an, an entirety of just hidden variables and systems that exist underneath all that we can currently perceive mm -hmm. and see. There is so much going on here when we're just uh, at the tip of the iceberg. Like we are just right at the tip. And I think, I think that's where neurodivergence comes in, into like we are so. I am fascinated because every time I hear neurodivergent, I see a reaction. What is that reaction about? I'm I'm super intrigued. Because going going into like barriers and criteria and limitations, neurodivergence, I don't know what it means. Mm. Like when whenever I whenever I hear neurodivergent, my immediate gut response is that's everyone. So I like I I don't know what it means to be neurodivergent. I I'm not a fan of labels. I people have said that I might be ADHD or I have tendencies of ADHD, which may be true, but I don't class myself as ADHD because it's not a label that I I label myself with. Other people can. It's just fine. Um, but when I hear neurodivergent, I'm like, but but what does that what does that mean? Like, is it your neurodivergent? Like I, I said to I said to you a while back, must be a few months now. If you have someone with ADHD in a group of neurotypical people, then they are neurodivergent. But if you have ninety nine people with ADHD and a hundred and the one neurotypical, who's now neurodivergent? The neurotypical in the group, or the people with ADHD? I think that for me, that's a simplification. Because, but, but that's how we've categorized the, people. Yeah, like I think neurodivergent as a term is oversimplified. That's what I'm getting is that it is it is oversimplified. It is a blanket term because there are complexities that we don't fully understand. Like just trying to find research that isn't about fixing and is more about understanding is a fucking pain in the ass. It's all about trying to fix what is neurodivergent so that there is more neurotypicality, which is one way of working. It, I And that is what I think um, 
why neuro neurodivergent whatever it may be adhd autism dyslexia um anxiety i i've seen actually some of these other uh conditions being brought into that and i think that actually is a much more i think the blanket term has value and it allows people to communicate with each other but at the same time there is there is a lot of everyone has their brain works slightly differently and i think that's what from my understanding of our conversations you view neurodivergent as people whose brains work differently which is kind of how it's spoken about and that is a gross simplification hugely gross simplification because everybody thinks differently that's mm -hmm. that's it that's true but there is also some there is more depth to that i think there is a sense of identity as well attached to that there is identity um for sure um that's where that's where we sort of go back to the the fleeting notes idea of where where is the boundary that people have set on it because everyone is going to have a different idea of what neurodivergent means some people will say well neurodivergence is this and these are the boundaries and someone else is going to say, say something else so how is the term useful when we're speaking generally i, d I don't know I, I don't think there is because everyone i is don't think there is any for me what I have on that is there is no use in speaking generally anyway, at all. It doesn't, but that is how communication is set up right now for a lot of people, for social media, for marketing. It is very much like group categories, labels. It's group and... categories and labels. And yeah. <laughs> interestingly enough, what is seen as the traditional neurodivergent community is, and I don't like labels, <laughs> yeah. but they are, but, but, I think it's my, what I have on that is we've taken the label, we have taken the label from them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother spicy topic that we can just leave alone for now. But like. But that, that right there is the problem though. As soon as you add a label, you're either it or not it, which is the barrier, mm. is the boundary, it's the line. And the it or not it is the problem because it's, without that label, there wouldn't be a us be them. There wouldn't be yeah. a I am or I am not. It's just a we are. <laughs> yeah. And and that's how I see it. And I, mean, I don't want to get too I would political. love it to be more like that. It would, mm. And I think for us neurodivergent individuals... That is what we're looking for. But there is a subset of humans, let's just say that, who don't do that. They have these rules and things that they've put in place that they don't declare. Linear. And everyone... And, huh? <laughs> uh, when we talk about information processing, ecological dynamics, you have linear processes and non-linear Yeah, non -linear there are so processes. many linear processes and that are... That is exactly what it's like. There are so many linear processes that are being forced upon 
the 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 someone is forcing it upon there is mm -hmm. something is happening that it is being forced whether whatever it may be whether it be humans or whether it just be what we have right now and our lack of understanding i don't know and i don't really care but there is so much linear processing happening that for people who are who see themselves and their ident they identify as neurodivergent or neurodiverse or you know sexualities or all of the other like labels that we have they're 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 not in linear processing but what's happening is we're being asked to think linearly when it is not possible we are we are well into ed right now we are like <laughs> flying through ed like no tomorrow we have the chaos theory we get it i may not have the language to explain it the science sciencey stuff which you could class as labels too i see them as labels yeah they are um and and because they, they have barriers yeah exactly i understand it i understand it like here and everywhere my whole entire body gets ed but i don't have the language to explain it and i think that is the for me as someone who identifies as neurodivergent that is what it is to me that is the meaning for me um and it may help that i just have verbose language and i feel safe enough to say it because there is real like shit <laughs> that we face because it, it's a little bit outside now i don't see like we all have a different experience. And even in the neurodiverse community, there are different experiences, there are different interpretations. And I think that from my understanding is where your frustration comes. There's just too many pieces. But I challenge you that you're thinking in an information processing way, not an ED way. How? Because there is, I don't know, there is a sense of like, there is chaos and complexity in there. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to simplify it down and just taking the word. By reducing the label, I'm reducing the structure. So if anything, I'm making it more complex. Mm. Because you, neurotypical and neurodivergent is organization of mm. people of groups of elements what i want to do is remove though that that those labels and say okay it's not organized i would say we are all in the same environment we're not different environments we're in the same environment with the same elements with the same structure it's just we function differently i don't know whether we have the same structure that we, I think is where we differ. When I, when I say structure, structure, I mean like physically. Physically, we we are the same thing. Like we we have the same organs in our body, but the processes that our body does is different. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so obviously you can remove parts of the body and the rest of it, but generally, when you identify, like I would identify as a human. Like, I I am a human yeah. being. That like that's the species I am. Um you could go well out there with some people, but generally I think 99% of the population will say I'm a human being. Uh, what, what, what does that mean? 
well, that's the entire environment that I would want the discussion to be in. And that entire environment is where the processing of self-organization happens. It's not a, I'm in the neurotypical environment and you are in the neurodivergent environment. I think we're all in the same environment Mm -hmm. as a human being, but we are organizing it differently. That's how I see it. Ah, so it is, it's very much more human. Well, yeah, I don't. humans and that is, that is it. Yeah, I, I don't see black, white, Indian, Chinese. I, I don't give a shit. We're all humans. <laughs> you could be small, tall, fat, thin. I really don't care. We're all humans. We're all in the same environment. Um, but that that's my that's my mental approach to it is we're all in roughly the same environment. We're all on Earth. <laughs> um, obviously, when we start going out of Earth, we're still technically in the same environment, the universe, but now the environment is bigger and there are more elements. So the boundary has, in theory, increased. And when we're in different countries, it's just the constraint of the country. I Yes, but. (laughs) (laughs) I have yes, but. The. You don't see like what I got from that is that you don't you don't see separate. Everyone is fundamentally the same. And also. Fun, like we're all in the same place. We all ha- we're all in one environment. Yeah, as a as a macro environment, yes. Because inside of the environment, you'll have a system, and inside the system, you have an environment. Because that's the chaos that's inside the system. Because you've got the system. You so got you're so you're out. You're looking from a macro view. Yeah, when when we go all the way out, we're mm. we're all in the same thing. What the neurotypical and neurodivergent discussion argument is, is okay. We have now created two organizations inside this macro environment, and my argument is that the organizations there don't help. Hmm. It's a very philosophical approach. Yeah, I. I... <laughs> I don't disagree, but I think there is, I think it's an ideological approach. It is very much like in an ideal situation, that's how it would be. And honestly, I would love it to be that way. That would make life easier. But I think that there are, I'm not sure whether the neurodivergent individuals created the system or someone put them in that system. Both. Mm. Because for you to be neurodivergent, you have to identify as neurodivergent or you need to in some way self-organize your beliefs, your ideology, your philosophy in that system, whether someone else created the system or not. It is irrelevant. It is very much your, you've, made a decision to go into that environment you are in that environment that is your choice exactly which is why i choose not to be in there yeah i could it's there i could choose but i don't want to and what that means is the barriers of neurodivergence because you're inside that system and the boundary i i don't have to worry about them because i have everything else going on which is where obviously because I mean, I'm I'm thinking 3D right now in my head with all the systems and stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to have interactions between all the different systems, which is where you have the neurotypical going, well, I have that over there, 
but I'm not over there. So should I be over there? And in the same way. And I'm like, well, I'm not over there or over there. I'm I'm in both because we're just yeah, in the and, same Yeah, and I think place. that's actually my experience too, is very much there are some things that just are. And yeah, there is so much. Yeah, there's so much we don't understand as well. And I think that is part of it. There is so much that we don't understand. And every single person has an individual experience, which I think is what you're saying. Like everyone is individual. Everyone is a system of their own. Everyone has a boundary and a barrier of their own that is self-created, but we are all within one system. Environment. Yes. Environment, sorry. Yes. We're we're in multiple systems. We're in one environment. Yeah. Yeah. And the the reason I think this is beneficial moving like, well, for me, it's beneficial. Obviously, I can't really say it's beneficial for others. But when I when I look out into the world and the actions that I take, I'm now not taking an action because of a constraint I've imposed myself because of a label of a system that I'm involved in, because I have the freedom affordances to organize any element, any part in the way that suits me. Yeah, so what I got from that is it, it when you label yourself as neurodivergent, when you give yourself these, like when you are medically labeled as well, that is a medical condition, the conditions are medical, it's almost like adding a constraint. Like It's, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. There is a risk of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you're like, Ha-ha! no, thank you. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of that self-fulfilling prophecy. I may have these struggles. Yes, I may be, I may have these, parts of me that are classed as this but i'm not gonna let that like i'm not gonna constrain myself to that i i I, take the issue the limitation the the complexity of the environment i take it and go okay i have this complexity all these people have this complexity as well i'm gonna solve this and self-organize it in any way that i can the constraints from a label they're not consistent because you can remove constraints. But as soon as you have a label, you then need to put effort in removing the constraints that the label has added. Mm. Something a little bit more tangible is uh, an experience I had at university. Someone that um, was in my cohort was dyslexic and he was labeled as dyslexic. And in his head, he couldn't read papers. He, He just couldn't do it. And it was it was because of the label, because he he could read. He was very good at reading and he understood what was going on in the science. But he chose not to read because he couldn't read. And he needed the machine, uh, like audio machine, to talk to him about the article for him to read. So if the machine broke, he didn't read. And you're like, so he could read slower than other people. But that was a comparison. That was a constraint that he'd put on himself. So he mm. didn't read because of the label and it was like, oh, no, I, I don't do that. That's not me. But it is you because you do read. You're very intelligent and you can do it. You're just not doing it because of what a label is supposedly telling you, which it was so frustrating from the outside. I'm like, oh, you're really smart. And all you need to do is just read a couple of those words. <laughs> and like, I mean, I know that sounds really ignorant from my side. Uh, I'll just read a couple of words. But he could do it. It was just slower when compared to other people. So if you don't compare it to other people... Well, now you're just reading. Mm. Take the comparison out from the constraint, from the label that has been added, and suddenly the organization becomes easier. Is it 
is it easy when compared to someone else? Not necessarily. It might be easier than other people as well. And that's something that I know he didn't do, but there were people that were way worse off than him. Like blind people, for example, they literally can't read. But he didn't think about the blind person not being able to read. He thought about the other students in the cohort that could read he faster could. than him. Yeah. He's like, what, why are you thinking the people better than you? What about the people worse than you? It's something that I learned when I went to Uganda as a school trip. Um, I went there year 11, so I was what, 14, 15. And there was a, I, I visited a mud hut. It was about the same size as my room. And there were 13 people living in it. And I was like, wow. A massive eye-opening experience. I was out there for two weeks. Um, I was building building houses and teaching like four or five-year-olds how to speak English. It was an it was an amazing experience, really eye-opening. Uh, how little some people have. I know you see it on TV and stuff, but I didn't grasp it until I really felt it. And since then, I'm like, nah, I'm I'm not gonna say I can't do this thing because they really can't do this thing. I'm just either finding a barrier or finding a constraint or making up a reason as to why I can't. And mm. some of those reasons might be valid, but I really need to justify why that is a valid reason for me. Mm. This Which went... brings us actually quite nicely back to set it up from the start, which is very much of like, instead of just going, well, I'm just disorganized. I'm just not good enough. There is something wrong with me. I'm comparing myself to another person. I'm just going to go and make it work. That's what I'm I'm just going to make it so that I don't have that constraint anymore. Yep. And that that's my approach. It's it's funny when I look at um when I look at some of the traditionally neurodivergent issues and struggles, I sit there and go, I figured that out. I solved that. Well, why don't you just do this? And I might be neurodivergent from those boundaries and categories whatever, but I've solved the problem that they're still trying to solve. I'm like, just because I am I might be neurotypical because I don't have a label because I don't blah, 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 doesn't mean the solution might not work for you. And yeah, and I, I see the discussions in the comment sections of people arguing and I'm like, just, just start solving, just start trying to solve the problem for you. You've obviously solved your problem with notion tasks. Way different to me. <laughs> I yeah. have a different environment, but it's the same thing. I use Morgan because it works for me. You use Apple shortcuts, was it? Yeah, Apple shortcuts and Notion because that works for yeah. me. Exactly, and, and actually, it's, a, it's the same problem, just different solution. It is the same problem, just a different solution, and and actually, yeah, I I do quite appreciate the conversation because it's true. What I do is exactly that. I help other people who don't want us or feel they can't solve their problems solve their problems by seeing what they have and giving them a solution to the constraints that is directly fitting them. And that I think is as a coach, because it's coaching at the end of the day, um, that is how that makes a difference. I like that. That That's super cool. Wow. We did not stay on topic, <laughs> but we did at the same time. I love our open-ended episodes where we only have one point. <laughs> Well, technically it was two because the, the second point we I didn't write down because we just started the conversation at the uh, in it. So eh. what was the what was the first one? I don't even remember. It was now. the Amy da Amy Landino, we were talking oh, about yeah. the barriers. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Were you not paying attention to the conversation, John? <laughs> no, I just finished the conversation and it's gone out of my brain. <laughs> uh, I am see, consistently where I am right now. <laughs> 
see that that right there is something that I I know it's not unique to me because other people do it. But when I'm in a conversation, I'm constantly referring myself back to previous parts of the conversation to create connections. It's something I've always done, which is why I think I remember a lot of conversations and lectures and stuff because like half an hour into a lecture, I'm like, oh yeah, you said that at the beginning of the lecture. And obviously that's retrieval, retrieval practice. And mm -hmm. if you're an IP person anyway, uh, <laughs> and, and you're, and on creating those connections and affordances and, and understanding what's going on and organizing all the information. And people are like, oh yeah, you're really smart. You remember loads of stuff. I'm like, no, I just did it over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again in my head. <laughs> yeah. The question I have is why? I have two answers for that. Yay! <laughs> One being that is how I have trained myself to think. Mm. why is that like why have i trained myself to think that way i don't know and when i say i don't know it's because i don't consciously know unconsciously i do know uh, and i can guess but that's knowledge about rather than knowledge of and i think that's because of the organization when i was younger of the environment i was put in so the environments that i was afforded because of the situations my parents put me in the situations i put myself in and the way that i was thinking at that time and the organization i had in my mind at that time that's what i did as a kid i didn't speak like um they thought i was mute because i didn't speak until i was like six seven something like that i just didn't talk um but i took loads of stuff in i, I spoke just very very rarely um i just took stuff in i was like the sponge uh, and i was always remembering stuff always learning stuff and i didn't really speak partly people have i say people medical professionals have assumed that i had anxiety all the way up to like 15 16 social anxiety which is why i didn't talk uh but in my head i was like well i don't have anything good to say so i'm not just not i'm just not going to say it i don't see the point now i grasp a lot of what's going on i have the words to explain what it is that i want to talk about so my my, my speech my explanation comes from me having thought about it so much in my head. And if that's what I was doing when I was younger, well, obviously I've trained my ability to grasp connections in a deeper way. And that's from having maybe a, a mental model. I don't like it uh, in my head <laughs> to say, <laughs> don't, don't talk unless you've got something good to say. That was something my dad used to drill into me. It's like, Oh, shut up. If you've got that, nothing like useful to say. So I was like, fine, I won't. <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I don't know why I think like that, but I think it's because you of the environment I was brought up in. Yeah. And that pretty much sums up for everybody. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I don't know why, but it's probably the environment I was brought up in. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and when you think back to learning skills and learning and understanding, well, if you don't understand, if, if you can't think of how you learned it, but you did learn it, how can you be thinking about it? How can you be computing this stuff in your head if you don't remember any of learning it? I would argue computation isn't just what the brain does. But that's my that's my big paper. That's my that's my, my I think we've gone over philosophy and ideology enough for today. <laughs> nah, never enough. <laughs> right, so hopefully you uh Expanded your brain a little bit. <laughs> or just think we're a bunch of morons. Well, no. See, last point. 
when I say expanded your brain, I don't mean it got bigger. I mean it got denser. Cool. I'll leave it there.